Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Zeitgang, gang, you like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 324, episode 2 of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist! Yeah. Mmm, seductive. Mm -hmm. A production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast... We take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. It's Tuesday, February sixth, twenty twenty-four. Oh, it's not. Boy. This is this is one of the furthest we've recorded in advance. Well, guess what? You know what it is. Shout out to all my Chopsticks users because it's National Chopsticks Day. Hey. It's Safer Internet Day in the U.S. I'm not sure what that means. It's National Froyo Day, and uh, yeah, those. That's it. Look at Froyo's us. still out here. Froyo, uh, ever had Froyo with chopsticks? <laughs> That's a, way to all live. I do on this day to celebrate. It's a, it's an act in speed eating because once that shit melts, it's you can't do anything with the chopsticks. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you could like you know how a cat's tongue can like kind of scoop it and like right basically defy gravity. Maybe with the right kind of speed okay. and movement of the chopsticks, you could like you get it kind of flowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do like the the way dogs drink, you know, by curling your tongue backwards to scoop the water in their mouth. Have you seen that video? Jack? Yes. And I think that's what I was thinking of. I, I just have trouble telling cats and dogs apart. I think. Well, just so you have to cut cut that lingual frenulum. You know what I mean? Because you can really <laughs> right. lap that water up like a canine. Well, my name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. He's my Jackie Pie, pasty white ass about 10 miles wide. Looks so good with those grown man thighs. Sweet Jackie Pie. Ooh. Yeah. It's courtesy of Macaroni on the Discord. Man, ask a guy out before you sing. Write a song about his sweet, sweet dump truck ass like that, Macaroni. <laughs> Damn. Are we dating? No, thank you for that. As always, and I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. It's Miles Gray, a.k.a. Entertain me, tiny dragon. <laughs> DJ Khaled on the highway. Wow. When I lay down the sheets, I'm dreaming. 
I had to guest again with Shane. <laughs> okay, shout out Christy Yamaguchi, Maine. Referencing wow. my dreams. Seamless. Yes, they still happen. They still happen. I no still... longer know the lyrics to Tiny Dancer. I just, that, Entertain that's me, how Tiny Dragon. That was. That, those are the lyrics to Tiny yeah. Dancer now. Well done, yeah. Christy. Christy, Yamaguchi, we missed man. you. We miss you, Yamaguchi, Maine. Let us, like, come on, man. Let me some AKs. I know you're busy. I know you got George I miss Center he, and everything. Yamaguchi, man. Yeah, I miss thee. All right. Well, Miles, mm-hmm. we're thrilled to be joined in our third seat by a digital research analyst at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, yes. where she researches online hate, extremism, yes. disinformation in the U.S. It's Sabine Lawrence! Sabine! Hey, thanks welcome, for having welcome. me. Welcome. Oh, thank you for stopping by. Thank thanks you for stopping for being by. here on our silly yeah. show. Yeah, to talk about serious things, because it's a big year ahead in 2024, from what I hear. Um, oh, what yeah. I'm hearing Jesus. It sounds like <laughs> people yeah, it keep be... saying that, and I'm like, what? Like, why? What's so big? What's going on? What's... Is it because of the Super Bowl? Because I, yeah, they just... have a Super Bowl every year. <laughs> I, Swift, I was I was already involved in politics in 2020, and that was mm. probably one of the most stressful years of my life, hands down. It was yeah. nonstop. I think I had like four or five just straight like seven day weeks in the office till one, two in the morning, ordering food, getting rashes from the stress. It was just awful. I can't Why, imagine what, what this year's going to be. Yeah. Uh, it was It was mostly <laughs> just all the prep work, all of the, um, like, because I researched extremism vaguely then, and it was like getting all of the seed lists to get all, to get in all the groups, to get in all the Discord chats, to kind of, uh, like, the way, so when things kind of popped Got off, yeah, yeah, when things popped <laughs> off, then, like, I was in it. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. right. Okay. I, I, I'm always amazed at like, you know, people like you and your colleague, Jared Holt, who we've had on the show many times. And he was like, you got to talk to Sabine. He got and we're like, of course, then if you if you say Jared, like we we, lo- we love the work you do. But I'm always amazed at like how people get into monitoring extremism. Like what how what was your journey there? Like, what were you doing? Like, I know you said 2020 is when you started getting into it. What were you doing in like 2018? Like, what was things very different or what was your sort of path into this kind of work? Uh, really funny. I actually started doing this as a joke. Um, I was in college in 2018, 2019, uh-huh. but I was an anthropology major. I recently switched and incels were like the big laughing stock punching back to the internet at the time. I think um, ContraPoints had her v- video on incels and I was like obsessed with it. And so for my thesis, I was like, oh, how about what if I did like a funny ethnography on like the inner lives of incels, like t- as a goof? For my thesis, it doesn't matter. I'm already going to graduate. And right. I did it. And then I, um, that was December 2019. And then Ooh. I looked for jobs in 2020, January. And I got picked up by GQR, which is like a polling consortium. And they were looking for researchers who already knew about that kind of under, CD underbelly of the internet stuff. And I got picked up immediately after that and then worked for the whole election season. And I wow. kind of ended up becoming my career path fully on accident. Yeah. Wow. And are you, embracing that i know you say like it's on accident but i mean like no, that it, actually it's, i fell with in love really with like? the field and the people right. are really great and it just ended up being a really good mix for me right something tells me you're a pretty good student when you do a thesis as a goof and get away with it and they're like damn this is really fucking good <laughs> fucking killed that thesis <laughs> maybe you want to do this for a living hire them yeah yeah that's amazing well we're gonna talk to you in a in a moment about the upcoming election. That's why people, okay. Yeah. Makes sense, there's huh? an election coming up. That's, I get it. Right. 
right, right, yep, right, yep, right. yep, yep, yep. We'll we talk know, about we that, uh, how election denialism is still a thing, whether or not another January 6th is imminent. But before we get into it, we do like to get to know our guests a little bit better by asking them, what is something from your search history, Sabine, that is revealing about who you are or what you're up to? Hmm, that's a great question. I actually, I went on a major deep dive. There was a recent video that came out, I think from Jacob Geller, about the Pinocchio stories and history of Pinocchio. So I've been watching a bunch of movies about Pinocchio specifically and like interpretations through different directors and artists. And so I have been like weirdly obsessed with the t- with all the kind of like mannequin-y, I guess, existential statements about life and death and everything. And I've been like going through video essay, like rabbit holes about that for at least three or four days now. Ooh, tell me, tell yeah. me more. Like, so what Think is the it. overall thesis that like first captured you on, on the subject of Pinocchio? Like what, w- there's more to it than meets the eye. Yeah. I think it's the fact that like it, I think, I think there's a quote that he says where it's like, we cannot fathom a world without the existence of the Pinocchio story. Like we can't imagine it anymore. Because it, the wooden boy, because he ends up being like a kind of vessel of all human sins or like human misbehavior. And the whole morality tale is like how to be not only a good person, but a person. You have to like fully understand him to fully understand how to be a human being. It's really, really interesting. Wow. So what about Jiminy Cricket, though? (laughs) I think he's just cute and fun, personally. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, I was like, is there a deeper thing? I just love Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> no, Jiminy Cricket's Satan. You didn't know? I mean, he's like, come on. He's is he's he? there tempting. No, I'm just joking. Oh. Oh. Yeah, in the new Gu- like Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio. Oh, that's I who loved it, is, right? it. Yeah. He, even motherfucker dies and like goes to hell <laughs> or like yeah, heaven or the constantly. It's amazing. Spoilers, I guess. Whoa. But, yeah. Yo, wait. It's Pinocchio truly like go- an existentially dense text it's is pretty it, it's pretty wild like is, i mean yeah. there are multiple children deaths within the first half of the film whoa yeah. and are they all going to he double hockey sticks i don't know i guess he doesn't go to and you know what to be honest i watched it on a plane that landed right when he got to hell uh so i haven't completed the film okay okay that's fair. but I, so i don't know where exactly it goes but the whole thing <laughs> it, It's funny because I've been obsessed with death a little bit lately because I'm scared of it. And just how much of everything is just has the preoccupation with our own mortality and impermanence at its heart is is kind of wild. Like the second you start thinking about something, you're like, oh, yeah, that's about death. And that's about death. And oh, yeah, that that's also about death. But Pinocchio, Pinocchio is a big one. You know, it's one of the questions like that's a movie that my kids kind of we we tried to start watching it they're five and seven they were like yeah kind of over it but i think if they had stuck with it they would have been compelled because they have a lot of questions about death at that at that age you know five and seven like yeah disney was on to something like that did you tell them when you're like wait a second (laughs) do they did they ask a question will i die Will you, Miles? No, no, yeah, like, will. They ask, well, <laughs> <laughs> well oh, about Miles? He going to die? Miles won't die, will he? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. I remember yeah, yeah. that. I they remember, like, about. when I had that realization, I asked my mom, I was like, will I, like, will, will I die? She's like, yeah, you're going to die. I'm going to die. Your yeah, we're going to die. die. Grandma's going to die. die. 
And I was like, <laughs> like I remember it <laughs> fucked me up so bad. But that was just sort of that like brute, brutal honesty that only <laughs> an Asian mom can give you at that time. It's just yeah. straight to the face. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a tough one. I, I remember, yeah, being awake in my bed when I was like seven and just being like, I can't, I can't like conceptualize because my I grew up Catholic and at it, I was just like, eternity like doesn't really make sense because everything right. else is like finite and i right. was like up crying and my mom was I, like in retrospect i feel so bad for her <laughs> just like i don't fucking know man <laughs> like just yeah. go to bed like, God, we gotta stop going to mass what do you mean it's gonna do to you forever right can't yeah. go forever sabine did you have a moment of, of clarity like that where you got in touch with your own mortality as a child uh i know when i was really little kind of towards when I was like until 10 or 11, I was terrified of almost everything, like pathologically afraid of most things. And I think for Halloween one year, my mom got me a book about um, bones and how bones work. And there's an image in the middle of it where it's like a, a human flesh sack, like completely limp with no bones in it. And it was like, this is how you would be if you didn't have any bones in you. Did you know? And that freaked me out so much that I essentially decided to become a skeleton for Halloween um, but it ended up kind of turning, I think because it was like, a, I got to be learn something new. And also like, I could see that the inherent horror of being alive isn't, is sometimes worse than just being dead. And so now I have a, a really strong love of horror and love of like gothic, like themes oh, and like shit. works yeah. because yeah. I now like knowing how your body can be when you're still alive, but it sucks majorly is like, death is not though having no bones just seems so bad <laughs> right it's also just like yeah i mean like i think in western culture there's just like that's sort of the un sort of baseline is be like man death is like so fucked up like oh my god i like don't want it don't want it don't want it whereas like culturally in many other places it's like yeah that's bring it on like it, yeah. it happens and that's just part of what it is that's kind of the deal and use that to sort of motivate you to really enjoy or do as much good as you can while the party's still rocking yeah I mean, the whole capitalist system, I think, at least partially, is fueled by an inherent inability to, like, deal with our own mortality. And, like, so it's, like, fueled by people trying to outrun death, basically, which is impossible <laughs> to outrun. So it's, like, one of the great fuel sources that you can come up with, like, create a system of beliefs and that, like, thoroughly, like, doesn't tangle with death and then people are going to just be going as hard as they possibly can towards like trying to consume and acquire their way right. out of like thinking about it i mean when i look at congress i don't see that at all at all <laughs> no they're killing no, it no they're not at all quite quite literally killing it uh sabine what is something that you think is overrated i feel like so i originally went to school for zoology and i ended up having to switch later I think people whose favorite animals is a mammal, is any mammal. I'm like, mammals are super overrated as a favorite animal. The lions, <laughs> the giraffes, the hippos. I am an insect girly. Ooh. Love, love worms. I love polychaete worms that are in the bottom of the ocean. I feel like a lot of animals, most animals aren't mammals. So I feel like they don't ever get enough love or appreciation. Mammals are always the face of every conservation campaign, every Save the Environment campaign. I am personally tired of it. Mm. Wow. Uh, I, man, and I'm like, now I'm like actually challenging myself to be like, what would my favorite, like, non mammal life form be? And 
the first thing I thought of was like a a trilobite. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why. That was like in my mind. I'm like, yeah, I think I fuck with a trilobite. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just had the family feud. Uh, yeah, yeah, survey yeah, says, answer, good answer. Trilobite. <laughs> They're like, no, nobody's. Trilobite is not on the board. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now I have to look up trilobite. I think I know what it is. They're, they're, they're a, it's a fossil. It, it, it's, like yeah. an, it's an now extinct, almost like an isopod. Yeah, isopods are. Yeah, I've always been into them. The the when you bring the ones that exist now, the like giant sea bottom roly polies, uh, which I think is the scientific name. I yeah, yeah, I know you went for it. That that is the technical term. The ones that look like roly polies, but like when you take them up and they're like not in the pressure at, at the like pressure of the bottom of the ocean. They just like blow up and they're so scary. That's a great answer. That's one of the wildest animals that I've ever seen. Jack, what's your favorite non-mammal animal? I mean, probably the great white shark. Yeah, I I should have known. Yeah, yeah shocking. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. one. But I've just been, you know, ever since Jaws. Yeah, no. That's... But I like whales a lot because of how like they're technically mammals, but so different from humans that like they give us a weird look at like how how different things could have gone yeah they used to be wolves straight up they were wolves and they evolved back into being aquatic it's crazy what they used they, to they, be they, wolves they, yeah they used to be um they, they're like these four like if you look it up there's like an evolution video where it's like yeah the you know animal leaves the the water goes to land becomes like mammal and that's this weird wolf-like kind of striped creature and that kind of it ends up being like a primarily a quad hunter and would go back and hunt so often and just living there permanently, which is why it has all the same. Like it has like like whales have wrists and like fingers inside their fins because they used to be wolves. Right. Because they had. Right. 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 Yeah. That's. Oh, shit. I never even thought about that. Because whenever you see like a whale skeleton, you're like, why you got some little digits under the yeah. fins like that? <laughs> right. Like, what are you? You're doing too much, whale. But now I'm realizing yeah. it's this is wild to look at, Jack. Just this yeah. whole evolution of <laughs> cetaceans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the top, eight, the, the carnivores they used to be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they started out like muskrats, and then they just went into the ocean. And wow, that's pretty wild. Sabine, you're fucking killing it right now. I gotta <laughs> say, it's fucking, fucking me, me up, up man. Like, you're fucking up my Christmas right now, and I love it. When you look at like a, a bat's wing and you see that it's just a hand like spread out super far and like yeah. the whole thing is like the little skin in between your fingers, but just like stretched out super far. That always fucks me up. <laughs> hey, now that's a hand right there, man. It's just a big hand, man. Yeah, Guy would be sick at hoops. What is uh, what's something you think is underrated? I don't know if you guys are on like um, book talk or whatever, like people like go on TikTok and recommend different books. I feel like there are so many classic novels that even though their classics are underrated, like I recently read Rebecca for the very first time. It's like the 1930s. It's about the, a woman who like remarries a guy whose ex-wife is dead and she has to like live in her shadow. It's a crazy good book. I've never heard anyone in my life ever talk about it. And I'm oh, currently yeah. like, on a roll of like reading classics that aren't like the ones you have to read for school. They're kind of just like out in the ether. Um, and they're genuinely mind like life changing and fantastic, but because they're old, they aren't like recommended unless you go to very specific, like aesthetic old timey vintage book talk circles. Like then they mm. are, but 
I feel like they don't get enough love, even though they are technically classics. Like I don't like I'm currently reading Left Heart of Darkness, uh, Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. Never heard anybody else who has read it or talked about it before. It's like so far an amazing book. And like no one's t- I'm like, I want them to talk about this book because it, it feels awful to read amazing pieces of work. And there's like two video essays on the entirety of YouTube about it. It's like no one's ever investigated. Right. I'm uh I, I've never read the book, Rebecca. I didn't even know there was a book, Rebecca, but I am familiar with the text because I'm an Army Hammer completist and uh he starred in the 2020 film. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> there's a there's a Hitchcock film based on it, I believe. Yeah, there's a Hitchcock film and then there's a TV movie, which I prefer. I think it's yeah. like a BBC TV movie. It has um what the the dad Lannister from Game of Thrones. Plays, sure. plays Max the Winter, the, the main, the husband in the yeah. story. We call, we just call him Ty, Tywin Lannister. I guess <laughs> people know him as Charles Dancy or Dance or whatever his name is. Yeah, Charlie Dance is what I call him. Charlie, that, that man can dance, you know. I, I'm not huge on book talk. It's one of the few, you know, TikTok sub cultures that I'm not fully plugged into. <laughs> I, I think I know that like Moby Dick is really big on mm. book talk. Is that right? I think so. It's maybe I know that the one of the biggest things is uh, a crown of roses and thorns. Akatar is like the big book top book. It's like a really new, I think, fairy fae uh, romance story. There's a lot of romance books are popular on book talk. Right. There generally is good recommendations on there. We have to figure out where figure out where your niche is content wise. Right. People will sure. have lists of books that are exactly what you're looking for yeah it's interesting too because like i know people in the film industry who like use book talk to try and like find new ip that they think is like they're like oh shit nobody's fucking got the rights to this book or whatever and it's interesting to see because people are like bibliophiles and be like we can't just talk about the same 80 books all the time how like how book talk has like actually like to your point like people are now like oh right there's there's just so much work out there to actually comb through but yeah having that ability to recommend stuff is i'm sure very helpful and i thought like is that that like book chain thing that i've seen go around does that did that start on book talk where it's like you recommend a book and then like you send a person a book that you like or some shit do you know what i'm talking about i maybe i honestly i my i've been trying to cut back on social media usage this year so i'm like i honestly don't know but how do you do your job (laughs) Uh, it's literally just my job. It's, and then, and then I, I try to log off and do literally anything else. Right, right. I, I go on Nazi Telegram channels and then read a book. That's just not doing book talk. Yeah, yeah that's I exactly it. it. Yeah. And so do you go on book talk and then you don't have to read the books, right? You can just like get them to tell you about the books. It's like... Uh, it's like uh, it, honestly, it, if, if the book is not that good i do kind of like i'm just on here and kind of get the the big plot references from the talk and then log off and i don't bother reading the book at all there you go cool so amazing amazing overrated underrated in search history a plus sabine we are going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about what things are looking like on the right these days Mm -hmm. we'll be right back You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, 
Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course. And... Season 5 promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise. The sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island, and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER And we're back. We're back. By the way, I missed an opportunity to say one of my favorite f- phrases in the English language when you were talking about your favorite non-mammal animal, Sabine, the worms that yeah. they go to town whenever there is a whale fall, right? Aren't they the ones that like No, no those whales? are oh, okay. those are hagfish. Those are different. Hagfish. Oh, okay. Jack. <laughs> wow. Blew it. I went out on a limb. I got I got Warmed up. I was stretching out during the break. Whoa. I was like, get ready Flag for this on the play. whale fall drop. Fucking sound fumbled. smart as shit. Yo, with the hagfish fumble, Jack? Wow. You did that shit on mic? Oh, boy. I'm, uh... No, don't edit it out, Justin. Is don't. whale fall... Wait, what? That's when the uh, whale dies. That's when a whale dies, the and then, like, it creates an entire, like, ecosystem, ecosystem of, right. like, food for... It's so it, rad. It's yeah. this, like, massive event, and, like, animals come from all over. They're like, what, a whale? Eat. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, watching watching hagfish devour and skeletonize a whale on the bottom of the ocean is uh, Top one 10. of those things you don't soon forget. <laughs> Top 10 reminders that we're <laughs> all like <laughs> mortal. We're all just bone bags waiting to get we're picked up. We're all just bone bags waiting to be <laughs> skeletonized <laughs> by time. Well, on that note, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> let's talk about election denialism. Still yeah. here, folks. Still yeah. here. It's definitely hanging around more than I would have thought, like, 
as January 6th was happening. And then, like, you know, the day went on and people like everyone in the Republican Party was like, all right, man, like, come on. Obviously, you lost like this is this is embarrassing. And yet still here. Yeah. I mean, I think there it's clearly like the beating heart that is keeping the MAGA revenge tour alive right now is like that ill that like the the election being stolen. And at first, this sort of felt like something that was just like more rhetorical. We're like, yeah, let's just say like we could say that to kind of pump ourselves up to like motivate ourselves and just like something to cry about, keep people's heads in the game. But this sentiment is just still alive and strong. And I'm curious to being in like your research. And I've always wondered this, like, are there, I'm, there are there like distinct buckets of people within the larger election denialism, like culture, subculture, like there's like going to be the people that are grifting. They actually don't fucking believe that anything was stolen, but they know they could take advantage of people who do then like true believers and then like casuals, for like lack of a better term. Like how, how would you categorize like what this sort of like election overall election, election denialism movement kind of looks like? Absolutely, there are buckets. Um, I know one of the two biggest buckets are people who think the election nihilism is real, that like election was stolen, and that therefore it's pointless to vote. And right. people who are like, election was stolen, but you should still definitely show up for the polls, please, uh, in November. <laughs> and the two fight regularly, constantly. Election deniers have a lot of infighting, particularly about which politicians they deem as legitimate, like, will enact MAGA-like policies or who also reinforced election was stolen. And people who are like, as long as they have like pro-life stuff, it's fine. Like People tend to like kind of where they're giving and what they think is okay to, to like compromise varies wildly, even though they all be- they all basically believe that the election was stolen. Right. Because like, I'm always curious how much in their bones like they believe these lies because like every court case just got the smack put on it. And it's just like, well, there's no, you, have, you really have no evidence aside from the feeling that you just are aggrieved. And like, you know, but then there are people that are in like literal tears. They're like, this country's like just going to dog shit. And others that are using their argument just to like, I think just to sort of justify their hatred of a democratic administration. So like, I'm curious, like it's always interesting to see how that motivates people. And like, to your point, we saw that sort of denialism backfired a bit in Georgia when Warnock was elected at the end of 2020. And a lot of people were like, I don't know if you could, if we simultaneously like the election was stolen, but also go vote in Georgia to make sure Warnock doesn't get elected to the Senate. Like, so to your point of the people being like, oh, it's it's real. And also, but they're like, but don't create like a sense of apathy and don't like totally blackpill these people. How how are like how are these people like how are Republicans or people in the right wing? able to like walk that line to try not to completely demotivate the base like like how can you not if everything is fucking rigged yeah i know the one of the main things i've seen is particularly extremist groups like proud boys like parents rights groups that are on the extremist end free percenters those people tend to um either put up their own or like actively endorse candidates that are very very far right and kind of use that as kind of like a, a carrot where it's like, if you do go vote, this person isn't just like kind of Republican or like even solidly red. They're like very extreme to the point where you're extreme. And I think I've seen, I've been seeing people essentially, especially for local elections and for state elections. Like, I mean, you're already there. So vote for like the president. You're already there. So vote for the Senate person. But like, you're really there to vote for these people 
for these school board seats, for these board supervisor seats that are incredibly far right. I feel like local elections definitely ended up being a major driver of people within these spaces, where it's like you get more people who are kind of off the deep end and who are very much like, I want to, I think there is a movement to like ban ranked choice voting as an option for voting in the future for within states or like going back and increasing voter ID requirements, make it so just state ID isn't valid anymore. Like there are just a lot of people who want to, who run locally on these kind of platforms and they get a good amount of support and traction. So it ends up being like, you should support this person and then you're already at the polls, you know? Right. Right. Do you feel like, First of all, do you ever get in there and say, good point, it is pointless to vote. Y'all should definitely not vote. Good good call, guys. Yeah. And then, but also, like, do you, you know, we've seen Trump himself over-index when compared to his polling, but then more recently, we've seen the Republican Party perform much worse than polling was indicating leading in, or at least on the, like, worse side of the continuum, on the more disappointing for them side of the continuum, that like the the explanation for that that I've usually heard is just you know that people are actually pissed about their bodily autonomy going away, and that is a much better motivating thing than whatever kind of grievance shit that they have going on. But do you think that the people thinking that it's pointless to vote actually has an impact on that? Has impacted their electoral kind of underwhelming performances? Well, I mean, this past election, the 2022 midterm election, right. people were trying to really get out the vote. Obviously, Arizona was a big focus. And then Wisconsin was also a really big focus. Sure. And when I was in Arizona spaces and Pennsylvania spaces, after the election happened and the people who they were putting up largely did not win, people were like, hey, what happened if you didn't go vote? Why did you go vote? And a lot of people were said, oh, I kind of wanted to vote, but like I, my kid had a soccer game. I was traveling. I was busy. And they like, they because it wasn't convenient they didn't care enough about it because they were like the odds of it being rigged are so high slash like i'm sure it was rigged in the past and so if it isn't then easy plus with their whole i guess devaluing of mail-in voting or early voting, people think that also is like unsafe and, and, and invaluable so you have to be there in person on election day a lot of people can't be there in person on election day or just it'll be hard for them to like stand in line for three hours after work and right. so it's like they, because they think of it as, as being kind of like a lost cause in the back of their minds anyway, doing a bunch of extra effort to go vote feels like a waste of time. I think implicit, like it's subconsciously. So they're like, oh yeah, I don't, I, my kid had to go to the doctor. And so I was tired after and then didn't go vote. And that right. feels like a valid enough reason for them. That is so wild that it's like, honestly, like, I don't know right now. Like, I mean, I know we need to take over the nation, but I had to go like I had to pick up a package at FedEx before they closed um, because I missed it when they delivered it the first time. So I just had to sit this one out. Like, do do you see because 2024 feels like it feels like they're they're resolute, you know, in in taking the White House. But how how does that square with this this simmering like sort of election denialism? Like, what's the fucking point energy that exists in the right? Like, how is that? Like, what, what, what do you hear from people? Like, are they still saying, like, it's important to vote? Or are they just more like, man, we're going to have to fucking take over the Capitol again or some shit? Like, what, how are they motivating themselves? Because obviously the results are going to be borne out in the voting. But if they aren't doing that, then how do they achieve that goal? Yeah, I mean, for it's different this year, mostly because Trump is now probably going to be on the ballot. 
And a lot of these people, if they don't like a billion Republicans, a billion things, they do love Trump. And so it's right. like him being there changes the game immediately. And then on top of that, I am seeing good enough people, which very well could be all talk also, being like, voting doesn't work, we have to take it a step more than voting, either like like convoying or doing mass protests or doing another. I know that during the midterm, people doing watching drop boxes with like with guns. Right. If they do voter intimidation was also kind of starting to get a little bit of seam. I think we're gonna probably I could very easily see more public protest and like active obstruction of election processing local officials because they're like Trump is on the ballot, so now you need to vote because you can vote Trump back in office. People think that basically everyone in these circles desperately wants to have happen. But then to kind of like mitigate fraud or to mitigate theft of votes, be watch surveillance cameras, put your drones in there and stare into the the voting booth for like all hours of the day to make sure that nobody's cheating and no one's like and it ends up being like almost like a hyper surveillance game where it's like the more eyes we can have on every crumb of the voting process, the more secure it'll be. So like harass people at their jobs when they're counting ballots. Right. And like that tends to be almost like uh even if you aren't super red pilled about it, it ends up kind of being what you what you're going to do or what you're I guess encouraged to do within these spaces. Yeah, because I'm like, it's wild to think like for people who that's where like, it, to me, it's like, a, it's just like a little, it's just kind of reeks of bullshit too. Because like when you, when I saw people like in Iowa during the caucuses, a lot of people were sharing like those clips of people just like putting strips of paper in a fucking shopping bag to how they were voting. And they're like, I'm sorry, I thought y'all were all about this election security, but they're like, well, when it's us. we know it's when those other people get involved that you can't trust the process at all but yeah that's really sort of kind of interesting to think about because yeah obviously like with trump on the ballot that's a huge draw but then it's also like yeah how will it how will it even out like how many people are going to still maintain like yep this is the way to do it and then other people who are like i guess but we gotta also watch every like you say every kernel every little minute step in the process to hopefully i don't know catch something even though they they tried last time and it did not really work out that way yeah yeah should we talk about last time should we talk about january 6th because it does feel a little bit like have you ever been in a town this happened like the last time i lived in new york there was a massive blizzard and then the next time there was like any snow in the forecast there was the great like it, it was called like snowpocalypse and you know like all these it's also like what happened after 9-11 when the mainstream media made it feel like another equivalent terror attack was absolutely imminent you know our imagination is basically formed by the things that we've recently seen i guess uh, especially in like the mainstream media so i'm just it feels like people are like that that is the version of, you know, right wing action that people are able to imagine. But it seems like some of your research has said, like, that's probably not exactly what it's going to look like now. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on what we're kind of missing there. Yeah, I mean, January 6th definitely was a keystone moment. I think that Keystone Cops. One thing that it did show, I, like what, <laughs> one thing that it did gotcha. show, though, I think was that just because the previous four years of Trump meant the lobby team felt empowered and like they're able to kind of do get away with a lot of stuff to mean that you can get away with literally everything. 
And none of people who were put on no-fly lists that were then like tried and convicted of crimes, especially because in these spaces, people either frame dangerous sex as like a terrible moment when our, our patriots were like tricked and deceived and now are put in as political prisoners, or it's completely a false flag by Antifa or the FBI. And like, the, I think doing it on January 6th, I don't really see it in the forecast because it's like now people know that if you go too hard into this thing and get kind of too caught up, there are real tangible consequences. And like you can be arrested for doing crimes. And that's not something that you don't get kind of like free reign to do just because you like a candidate a lot. Right. And I, and I don't think that was a thing that had been proven on a wide scale in these spaces until January 6th. And now even people who do... I know, do the dropbox monitoring with guns. You know, they're also only two people, not a horde. And it's like people who are fully, fully covered their identities and like make it, schedule it and talk to the police, make sure that like the police are okay with them being there. It, it's it's a lot more of a, a, it's weird to say above board effort and mm. less like a mass, you know, going toward do something because it just feels right in the moment. Because I think people now know that that isn't necessarily going to work out well if you're caught up in the moment. Right. Do you think like, you know, just thought experiment, do you think that the energy is still sort of swirling around like that? It could like um, like if all the right pieces are in place, like could it repeat like if like, let's say Biden wins narrowly and it's like only down to like two states that were like, you know, purple, but on the red side or something. And somehow he's, you know, wins whatever state, you know, just for this hypothetical and it like hinges on these two things. And Trump begins agitating again and saying, like, doing sort of like running the sort of same script again. It, will they do you think it would it would they, there would be another attempt except like more organized or again, like to your point, too many people are just put off because they're like they're like, yo, this is a fucking op. Like, don't even try it. But also but it feels like they're also very motivated to show up in physical space in some capacity to sort of like let their displeasure be known. No, I would much more predict, which is like, oh, I'm dreading it, much more predict there being two, three, four, five people who show up in purge try to do something, a la the Gretchen Whitmer attempted kidnapping. Like, it's like three or four guys as opposed to being the number of people who were at January 6th. At this point, yeah, it being an op, it being uh, a set to be politically imprisoned is now a big enough narrative that I would personally think that it's going to be, I would see more smaller either one person or three or four or five people attempts at like trying to go and, and take votes from election offices or like or finding out people who were elections people regularly put the names and faces and phone numbers of people who are election officials um and say bother them call their number maybe dox them i'm thinking yeah, more them, things right. like, like i mean even swatting people feels like it's yeah. probably more more likely of an event to happen than another j6 right so it's more that yeah, at that point, it's like, oh, shit, like you can't be that visible with a whole group like that. So either we go lone wolf or with like these tiny groups or just stick to digital harassment, because that seems like like, I mean, it's happening to like Nikki Haley and judges involved in Trump's trials and things and election officials. So, yeah, maybe where yeah, we that's... go one, we go like a few of us is yeah. kind of more a more accurate revision Where we go on we go in manageable groups that doesn't cause <laughs> an optics headache. we get we clear it ahead of time and we're like and, hey guys just an opsec FYI. opsec is a thing now opsec yeah. is a thing totally we gotta be we gotta that's the buzzword now it's all about operational security yeah all right let, let's take a quick break we'll come back we'll talk about you know what what, what are some of the potential futures if 
Biden doesn't win narrowly, if Biden doesn't win by a landslide, if Biden doesn't win at all, uh, we'll be right back. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring the Kardashians, of course. And... Season 5 promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island, and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. And we're back. And there's a whole Atlantic magazine that was like, if Trump wins. But like, I, I, I didn't see like any of those stories like really breaking through or capturing people's imagination. It just feels like people are kind of exhausted by him at this point, which is something that we talked about like in the very early days of this podcast, like of the Trump administration, the idea that you know, the Nazis first came to power, they were front page or just like when they first existed, rather, you know, they were front page news. It was a national scandal, an international scandal. By the time that they came to power, they were people were just like exhausted by it and tired of like reading about them and like just people, you know, it's the Bannon strategy of flooding the zone with shit and you just become kind of inert to it. So. I'm just curious, like, to hear your thoughts generally on, like, what you think a world looks like with these groups 
preparing the way they are and like kind of changing their changing how open they are like if trump wins i feel like they become a lot less scared of prosecution and like things go in a different direction right yeah i mean in my mind a trump win would probably also accompany a bunch of smaller same election uh wins for republicans and i think that that would end up I can see it being almost like, you know, how Twitter was and how Twitter slash X is now, <laughs> where it's like you go online and like I saw a beheading online in my feed yesterday. And it was just like, that's just around now. And you, you, that was just part of your everyday normal. I can right. see it being like you walk around your your city and you see like a white price sticker on a stop sign. And that's just like part of the landscape of where you live. And right. it being essentially laws are passed that are that are you know regressive and bigoted and i could see it being like you know i i think i'm thinking more in the sense that it would feel just generally unsafe but then also would have the caveat of being like and you would feel like yeah tired tired and like it's normal and like it sucks you don't like it but like it's a bunch of tiny instances that go about your day not one big guy yelling at you or fighting with you what are you gonna do about it and i could see that being like a you know, every school board meeting is now some weird right right ring scree about how trans kids are ruining everything. And that's right. every school board meeting now. And there's not a lot of ways to like counteract that or like to make that stop. Right. I'm like, you know, because just we're in an election year and it feels like every time shit just gets worse and worse, like the technology gets better for bad faith actors, the potential for violence increases. And I think a lot of people will probably hear like, OK. So there's not going to be no J6 2.0 and probably be like, okay, great. Nothing to worry about. Like they realize they've been fully dissuaded from trying that shit again. Um, No need to be vigilant about anything. But, you know, like I said, we've had Jared on the show, too. And we were talking about like white nationalism 2.0 and the rise of like active clubs and things like that. Aside from like sort of those groups and how they've sort of just like shifted or what however they're going to participate in this upcoming year or next few years. What can what do you think people can expect to see from these right wing groups in terms of what sort of activities they feel like they're invested in in terms of like the build up to the election? Yeah, I mean, I prepare for a lot of ads, a lot of very gross, disgusting ads in your YouTube and your Spotify's and your everything. Mm. I would also say that. At least from my perspective, viral content and like and like just changes of language, I mean, like people use red pill in celly style language as on the regular even if you are in the community now it's just now part of the language of being online right and i think that expecting feeling a weird like right-wing ideology shift i mean like this whole i mean i'm seeing a lot of trad wife content a lot of a lot of white supremacist like word usage or or meme templates i mean that's only going to get more and more frequent Feeling like everyone in your feed is constantly has some weird, disgusting worldview where everyone's out for themselves and and the outsiders and the freaks are trying to ruin your life. And like, that's what's going to feel like it's constant messaging wherever you go. And people are very much invested in making it feel like you should be scared all the time. The fact that you were upset and that things are going well for you is somebody else's fault that you should specifically blame. And solutions that aren't that or more nuanced in-depth conversations are probably going to feel less like a part of your daily conversations. Mm. 
So like, right, that's a, a lot of it is now just sort of shifting to what can we create energetically as an environment for people to operate in? And then hopefully that will nudge people in the right direction or just dissuade them from doing anything at all. That's, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <looking> so grim, <laughs> especially now when you look at just like the, the rise of like AI shit and the, like yeah. all this deep fake stuff that's happening that can already like, I mean, we're already seeing it in here, little flashes here and there. Are you, but, yeah. yeah, as somebody who's like paying attention to misinformation online, you know, we've done a couple episodes about AI and, you know, we're somewhere between the shit is scary to also like the way companies are using it is kind of like ham fisted and not, not that impressive at this point. But just generally, like, I know my job has gotten harder when it comes to being able to like find reputable information on the internet. I can only imagine what it's like in the trenches, like as you are trying to track track trends and things like that. Are you how much of that is the new technologies that are advancing? How much of that is that the companies have completely given up on reining it in at all? And just yeah, I'm curious to hear your overall thoughts on the state of the union when it comes to disinformation online. Yeah, I mean, when I was when I was doing work in 2020, it I'm I marveled to my coworkers about like like wow, people on the right spend so much time doing illustrations and making like interesting meme and art to like just flood these systems, and I would like reverse image search constantly because there's always new things being made. With AI, I feel like that's only getting more frequent and worse. Especially with, with disinformation, I mean, when I'm doing when I'm doing reports on the, on the daily for my job, I have to generally go back and fact check and see how people are saying this, what's actually happening, and find that information now. Especially if it's a smaller local story that doesn't have a bunch of news art, like news outlets on it, is so difficult to like see is what they're saying true or not. I don't want to just like write them off completely as being like everything they say is a lie, and like I want to actually do my research. But if there's not a local news article about it or someone or like a reputable source, like trying to figure out something is true that they're saying. I'm like, they're saying it. I don't necessarily believe them, but there's nowhere else to look to find different information. And I think that's one of the bigger issues. I mean, we, I mean, obviously Twitter has the community notes thing, which is, you know, biased at best, but like having reliable fact checks, especially for things that are more local or that are smaller scale is like, you're only getting the right wing narrative of any event and to find the truth or like the non-biased thing is just so difficult. And I don't, I don't know how that's changing how people perceive current events or, or local events or just like regular takes on everyday life. If they're only seeing one side and like, even if they don't like that person, like that opinion, there's no other opinion or other side to look at, to balance it out and to find the truth in the middle. Yeah. Why, why do you think these big social media companies gave up so completely? Like, it seems like this would be a time when you would be able to make a name for yourself by being the one place that actually tries to fact check. On the other hand, it was already an extremely difficult task to fact check uh, all the misinformation. And now it's getting more difficult. Is it just kind of that combination? Because we've also talked about how most corporate entities have like gone away from doing good <laughs> for from that idea being like you know it was never their main driving impulse but it was like fashionable for a little bit to like have these ESG programs and stuff and now it's like a bad word to say 
that you're investing in those things? Like, where do you think that kind of giving up came from? I think there are like a few things. One of the first things I'm thinking is that like, I remember when they started to do kind of disinformation countering and start to do those efforts, they got a lot of pushback from actual Republicans in Congress because they'd be like, my statement is getting fact-checked and flat, but it isn't true. And it's like, when you start to objectively go about what is true information or not, A, a real person has to basically go through every single thing. If someone doesn't get a joke or doesn't understand that it, this is a satire, that person just get caught in the middle of it. But then also people who are making inflammatory rhetoric then who are elected officials also get caught in that. And then it starts looking to Republicans mostly that this platform is being biased because it's censoring Republicans. That was a really big narrative for a long time was that social media companies are censoring the right because right. you put something up that's like COVID, the COVID-19 uh, vaccine causes autism and then you get flagged. And it's like, well, then of course you're going to get flagged. But then if, if that happens in a weird bias scattergram, then like you think that that's a, a negative or like it's a targeted harassment campaign from the social media company. Also, the fact that rage clicks make money. Um, right. People engage with things when it makes you mad. And so there's not really a financial benefit of having that not be there. And also, like, yeah, real people have to go through and moderate spaces. I spend a lot of time submitting posts for moderation or flagging posts or reporting posts because it's like, this person missed this. And it's like, well, I mean, especially Twitter slash X, they cut down their moderation team basically zero. Yeah, and right. Facebook already doesn't really have a super big one that's always on the clock. So it's like you're asking a team of 15 people to monitor the entirety of Facebook. That's a really big ask. They're going to miss stuff. And so it's like they have the company has to invest in hiring more people and setting stronger, more specific guidelines and then also adhering to those guidelines, even if the person that they're adhering to brings in a lot of traffic and money to the platform. It's like there's not a ton of upfront incentive. So it's the stuff that's always been true. It's just, again, like the public, they just got tired of like resisting the main impulse of capitalism to be like, yeah, no, you can, can do that. It's not profitable and you'll get fired for doing it. But yeah, no, go ahead. It's great. That, that looks great on you. Well, yeah. After a while, the forces just kind of wear you down. Yeah, exactly. Well, then also just how much we've seen, how much conservatives have just worn even the media down to be like, how dare you yeah. fact check the words I say? You're trying to silence me. And like, there's no, they're like, fuck, man, I don't, we don't have the will to push back or we're not getting the directive from the people high up to push back. So it's just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess we'll just please appease them. And and then you event you end up in this sort of place where it's like too much of a hassle to follow through on those kinds of things. and. It's kind of like it's a little unsettling, Sabine, right? Because with everything you're saying, it's like, you know, <laughs> they're they're not the fucking platforms aren't going to do anything. They're fucking just doing their own thing, putting out their own news. That is going to be the first point of contact for a lot of people if they're looking at like one of these stories or manufactured sort of scandals or whatever. It What is the role that normal people can play in sort of countering this like not to say that like now you need to get on your moderation shit and start ho like hopping in these spaces but like what wh what is like the, like what are the sort of steps because i feel like all the time you hear about like a project 2025 or like these other things you're like what what the fuck like what i mean not that this is specifically to that but you're like what do what 
are the, is the left doing anything about Project 2025? Not that I can see, but for regular people who are witnessing this kind of evolution, I'm sure many people already live in areas where they are seeing like white pride stickers or they're getting fucking KKK Nazi shit thrown in their driveway in a Ziploc bag filled with rocks and stuff like that. What is what is the response or what is the what kind of networks of people or can be created or things can be done to sort of counter that? Yeah, I mean, it, so online particularly, because that's most of my expertise, yeah, there sure. are already some forms of practice that I think I would endorse. Um, I know people are like, hey, when you're dunking on someone, screenshot and then do the dunk so they don't get the engagement if your tweet goes viral. There's also just, I guess, m- not encouraging behavior, maybe like, not dunking at all if you can help it. If you see a tweet or you see uh, a headline, take the extra time to see if it's actually true before you, before you share it or before you then again make outrage bait. A lot of a lot of particularly right wing accounts make their money and get their influence from being inflammatory and right. like and and triggering that like the instinct in you to get messing that you know isn't right or that you know isn't true and like taking the time to like step back, think about. Is it worth it to engage? Is it worth it? If it really is a, a narrative you want to counter, screenshot it and talk about it on your own thing so they don't get the engagement or and right. make sure you can like double check, fact check whatever you're sharing, like and not just doing an immediate emotional share. Offline, I would say that, at least for me, there are times that people in my community have heard stuff or said stuff or like kids will come home and say anything that they've heard at school and like, it all feels in the moment like a one-off instance of someone being shitty. And like, it honestly, it it can be more than that. And it can foster an environment where it feels like that's okay. And so like not letting those things slide or let lie or kind of just brushing them off. I know right. like in my hometown, my parents were walking by a school. Someone had changed it to say a bunch of slurs and like pro-Nazi stuff when everyone was on vacation. We took a picture of it, put it in the the county Facebook group and said, hey, this isn't cool when you talk about this. We had a conversation about talking to your kids. If you have teenagers or anything in the area, make sure you're talking about what is or is not appropriate to do and what is this not true about minority groups. That's something that you can do to kind of like not just let it be a shitty thing that you saw and then now have to, I guess ignore brush off. Right, right, right. I know also like, oh, right. my my company, um, ISD, has a, a program called Strong Cities Network where they do de-radicalization programming, trainings and classes for city officials, for local officials, for community members about like what you can do to foster an environment where extremism doesn't feel welcome or safe in your area. There are, I think, already existing anti-hate groups that are either national or that could be in your state. I know that Virginia, where I live, certainly has some. And seeking out those groups and participating is also great to feel like you're doing something, you're getting involved. Right. Yeah, I think it's it's also, I mean, it's kind of a really interesting point, too, where it's like so much of the engagement that these inflammatory accounts get is purely because of the reaction from people on the other end of the spectrum. And it's like sort of like it's that easy for them. It's like, dude, all you got to do is just say this. And then it be, it blows up. Really and it's funny people dunk on you and then their content becomes your content. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then it's like sort of like, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest ways to sort of like pull the rug out from under them is to also like to your point is like if you're going to talk about it, maybe don't share the handle or just take the screenshot so that that actual individual post isn't getting the sort of engagement that they they need to feed the algorithm. (laughs) It's kind of blows my mind. It's like, just remember, 
a lot of this shit, while it is upsetting, it's the intent is for you to interact with it. So the message goes further and wider. And that's like just such a super subtle Oof. thing that, yeah, to think about how it's like, yeah, it's it's kind of like a Rube Goldberg machine that it's just kind of like, yeah, man, I get this one thing and it can do. Next thing you know, it's setting off all kinds of alarm bells. Yeah. Well, Sabine Lawrence, such a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah. Where can people find you, follow you, all that good stuff? I'm on Twitter slash X. My at is ungoliant for hire with the number four as a for hire. I can put it in the chat so you can put it on the screen or anything. And that's the only place besides like I um, I have papers sometimes, I dispatch it sometimes that are posted to Twitter, to LinkedIn, um, and also just on the ISC website. Amazing. And is there a work of media that you've been enjoying? Yes, I currently have been enjoying a lot of um, Jack Stauber. He's like, uh, he was on Adult Swim a lot. And he does these really cool claymation and like techno pop works. And it's one of my favorite artists. Cool. No, nice. And we will link off to Sabine's Twitter handle in the footnotes. footnotes. Uh, Miles, where can people find you? Is there a work of media you've been enjoying? Yes, uh, my name does not have a Tolkien reference in the handle, but you can find me at the at-based platforms, uh, Miles of Gray, uh, and also find Jack and I on our basketball podcast, Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties, and if you like a bit of 90 Day Fiance, I also talk about that in my off time. That's on 420 Day Fiance. Check that podcast out. A tweet, it's actually a TikTok, because your boy's been scrolling, and there's this one account, at Casey Winnie. This woman, she's been doing just like these very subtle things like, you know, imagine the first person, like the first pirate to say R. And I think she first started going viral because she was doing her own version of Jennifer Coolidge going like, Err. like she's like really good at that sound. But she's been like doing these, just these videos, very simple. That's like hypothetical. And this one is called Imagine the Person Who First Replied After a Wild Crocodile. Um, even though it is in a wild crocodile, a lot of people were in the chat or in the comments being like, it's in a wild crocodile. Oh, let I've me always just said after a wild crocodile. Oh, I've always had in a wild crocodile. It's Sabine, wild, where are you? Yeah. Are you in a while or after a while? <laughs> in a while. Okay. Mm. Okay. Huh. Well, look, the country, uh, we've, there's so many more divisions that we even know about, you know, so it's, it's good to get these things all out there. Uh, but this is the clip of it because I just love, it's just like this reaction of the person oh, who's just, oh, my God. just eating uh but please listen to the background chatter because that's what honestly makes the video so hilarious see you later alligator after a while crocodile <laughs> wait a minute oh wow hold on that's delicious <laughs> how did you come up with What's that the difference oh. between a crocodile and an alligator she's <laughs> no, like just What's the square root of 64? Eight, y'all. That's what the square root of 64 is. That's what I love that one because it's eight. Um, So anyway, uh, her TikToks are pretty hilarious. So yeah, shout out to that one. That's amazing. After a while, in a while. Hmm. Wow, you're (laughs) just fucking me up, guys. That's like me thinking about my Trilobite love right now. Going to that part of my brain. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. I liked a tweet there from Goose that is in the genre of lose yourself lyrics. Always like a fake lose yourself lyric. His balls are sweaty. Knees weak. Balls are sweaty. They're sweaty on a sweater already. Balls are sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) Just made me laugh. 
Uh, uh, art. 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 Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. Footnote. Where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, is there a song that you think people might enjoy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is. Uh, so a few days ago, last week, I was talking about uh, an Indonesian funk band called AKA. But when I was searching for them, I found another group called AKA. But it, I think it's like an African funk band, like a psychedelic African band from the 70s. I couldn't find anything else, but this is what showed up. This track is called Shake Me by AKA. And it's it's just got like it's just that Afro psychedelic vibe shit from the seventies, and it's like really good funky horns stuff like that, and you know love a live band. So check this one out. This is Shake Me by AKA. We'll link off to that in the footnotes. The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for us this morning. We are back this afternoon to tell you what is trending. And we will talk to y'all then. Bye. Bye. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. <laughs> 